Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Good morning, everybody. Happy Survivor Sunday. Uh, we could do better than that. Can we give another hand to uh, our survivors? You know, there's uh, challenges that come in life and there's strength that, that people find. And uh, this season of, of watching you guys, some of you over many years, and then some of you more recently, it's just a reminder of uh, levels of strength that some of our brothers and sisters have that many of us know nothing about and some of the struggles that families are going through that many of us know nothing about. Um, <clears throat> cancer typically touches everyone. Somebody here knows somebody that has cancer, has survived cancer, has passed away because of cancer. So uh, we just wanna acknowledge you guys. We wanna let you know that it's not just on Survivor Sunday, it's every week we're thinking about you and we're praying for you guys. And uh, we're grateful, uh, like Mary said, to be able to partner with God to serve and to see and to love one another. So. Special day. As we go through the, the service today, one of the things that I always love is when uh, we just know that God has lined something up. So, so we didn't choose the, the scripture that we're in based on it being Survivor Sunday. God started this series a long time ago, and, uh, but I know that he, he knew you'd be here today, and uh, he has something for all of us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So a couple things, uh, housekeeping items that I want to share real quick before I get into the message. Um, some of you may have heard already that uh, Mary and I are going to be taking a little bit of a time off, but for those that, that haven't heard, we're going to have a little bit of a furlough slash mini sabbatical time over the next four weeks. So after today, we are excited to be here. We are excited for uh, Sidewalk Sanctuary, but after today, we're going to be gone for, for uh, four weeks. I want to tell you that over the four weeks, you guys are going to have great speakers, great preachers here. There's going to be four different speakers. They are uh, some local and some from other continents. So I want you to be here. I want you to be blessed. But also, I'll be honest with you, I want them when they come to be able to know who we are as a church. I want them to see you. I want them to minister to you. And I want them to know uh, who you are. So I pray that you guys will, will be blessed over this next four weeks like Mary and I plan to be. Our time away is about rest, restoration, direction, vision, all the things that we need as uh, the pastor and pastor's wife and our family. Um, it's something we should have been doing a long time ago, but somebody say, it's all right. It's all right. Better late than never, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, you know, our time away is going to be about four weeks, like I said, and a typical sabbatical is anywhere from uh, three months to six months and up to a year. 
but you guys know me very well. There's no way I can handle being gone that long. Some of you are like, go, stay, stay away. <laughs> but uh, we can't handle it uh, being away that long. So four weeks, we'll, we'll see what the Lord does in this area for us. But uh, I believe that our church is strong. I believe that our elders and wives are strong. I believe that our leaders are strong. So uh, we're happy to, to leave everything in your hands. Uh, again, for clarity's purposes, and then I'll get into the word. Uh, during this four weeks, don't be trying to call us. <laughs> Our phones, we're not going to be responding to text messages or emails or threads. If you're on one, take us off of it. Uh, don't check on us. If we are alive, you will know it. If we die for some reason, you will know it. Uh, uh, I say it jokingly, but, but honestly, all we want you guys to do is just please keep us in prayer. We'll be, obviously be keeping you guys in prayer, but I don't want you to be offended if you try to reach out and we don't respond. It's really important. Maybe you guys can take some time and look up sabbatical, look up furlough and see what it's all about so that you can pray for us. And even just check in on us. It's okay. We'll, we'll be back in four weeks. We know that you love us. We know that you're praying for us. So just want to be clear about that. If there is an emergency, Raymond McHale, Gary R. Kellyan, they can handle it. Call them. Uh, recently, literally, somebody has called me and said, the house is on fire. If your house is on fire, you could probably call me. But call Raymond. Call Gary first anyway. <laughs> Shoot. Um, yeah, it's going to be good. Uh, just keep us in prayer. And I share that because I want everybody to know what's going on with us. And we also don't want you to be worried. We are okay. It's a, it's a healthy thing for us to be doing. Um, and I also wanted to say that because if I could have chosen a place to be in the scriptures before we left for our time away, it would be where we are today in Ephesians, finishing this series in Ephesians chapter 6. And again, if I could have chose a scripture to preach on for Survivor Sunday, I would have chose Ephesians chapter 6. So the fact that we're there, I just know God's in it. Amen? Amen. Say he's in it. He's in it. Amen. Amen. So I want to start off... Uh, by recapping a little bit of what we've learned in this series. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, and we've gone through, obviously, chapter 1 through the beginning of chapter 6. So I just want to touch on some things. When we started this series, uh, hopefully we got a couple of pictures, Ray. The first one, uh, we're talking about where Ephesus is. So Paul has planted a church in Ephesus. Ephesus would be like uh, Las Vegas, okay? And Paul plants a church there, and the scriptures tell us that there's only 12 people who believe in Las Vegas. And he begins to minister to them. He spends a couple years there, and he builds this body of believers, and he leaves. Paul's a missionary, so he's going all these places. And uh, he writes this letter back to them after this church has grown, and he's in prison when he's writing it. And it's so important, these things that he wants to share. He sent Timothy, who was one of his disciples, to pastor that church. So this is the community we're talking about. Uh, Ephesus is here. Go ahead to the next one in what today would be modern Turkey, right? So this is the region. They've never heard the gospel before. When we look at the world we live in, we just think that it's always been out there. But imagine the words we've been studying in Ephesians. It's the first time people are hearing this word, hearing this truth, getting this understanding of who Jesus is. Go ahead. So it, it was a modern city at the time. These are some of the ruins that are still there in Ephesus, a church, a cathedral. So when you read through Ephesus and you see that they're at the temple or they're calling people away from, from uh, the temples of idol worship, these places still exist. One of the largest uh, theaters in the ancient world is in Ephesus. All right, here's a picture of it, okay? 
and then it's a port city. The reason why it's similar to like what we would say about Las Vegas, not only just for the sin and the, and the, the availability of everything, but the idea that it's a port city, so people are coming in from all over the world to do trade, right? People are coming in with all different types of worship and um, ways of thinking and ways of living, and they're all just on top of each other. And Jesus comes into the, into the city through Paul and to 12 people, and then the world has changed forever from that place. This is the goddess Diana of the Ephesians, a fertility goddess. Um, it's about... Uh, Procreation, it's, she's a, a fertility sex goddess. All these people, again, are coming into this community to worship her. Diana of the Ephesians. We read scriptures where it says that they're all chanting to kill Paul. Uh, great is Diana, great is Diana. The city's in an uproar. And this is where all this ministry is taking place. When we read the scriptures, I think it's important for us to understand uh, what type of environment. They were not sitting in an air-conditioned building. Everybody looking beautiful, wearing pink. Thank you, Mary, for hooking it up. <laughs> She brought this home yesterday. Like, this isn't the environment they were in, okay? <laughs> it was real deal. They're running for their lives. They're hiding. They're reading over candlelight. Uh, Paul is writing this letter in prison, and he's sending it via ship to get all the way to Ephesus. They get the letter. They circle up. They begin to read. And things that we hold as just normal truths that we've heard, they're hearing it for the first time, and it's doing something to them. And my prayer is as we finish Ephesians today that it would do something to you. One of the things that we said when we started this series was uh, there's these truth claims that Christianity makes that the world has never heard before. And they're vastly different than what every other church is saying in the world even today. And we need to understand what the difference is between what our God says and the truth that he puts out in the world versus everything else we've ever heard. So what I'm going to do... Uh, I want to just touch on some of the scriptures we've read, and, and that's, the, that's why I wanted to, to touch back on this, is I want you to think about who it's written to, first time they're hearing these things, and how it might have impacted them, and how it should still be impacting us today, to catch us up to Ephesians chapter 6. So uh, put your seatbelts on, here we go. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, he says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before there was a world, God knew you, he knew your name, and he chose you. Ephesians 1.13 says, Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is a guarantee of our inheritance. You didn't just come to church. You believed in Jesus. The Holy Spirit came, lives inside of you as a guarantee that one day you will see him face to face and spend eternity in heaven. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. He's telling these people, you were dead men walking, but he gave you life. You used to serve the prince of the power of the air. Satan himself was leading your life, and he gave you new life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works. This is the first time the world has ever heard anything like this. You're not saved because you're good. You're not saved because you work hard. By grace you have been saved. He just decided that he loves you and wants to save you. Ephesians 3, 10. Now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Ephesians 3 is saying that now, in today, 2019, that the manifold, the overall, all the connecting of the dots, all the wisdom of God is made known to the world by the church. You group of people who are sitting in here is showing the world who Jesus is and what his plan is. 
Ephesians 3.17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. You can know so much about Jesus and how much he loves you. Ephesians 4.1, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. We talked about endeavoring to keep the unity. It's not easy to love each other. It's not easy to like each other. It's definitely not easy to love each other when you don't like each other. But, but God says in Ephesians, he's telling this group of believers, I don't care where you came from, I don't care what your background is, I don't care what God you used to serve, you need to fight to love each other. Imagine that truth. Ephesians 4, 7, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. We had this service where we talked about how he just poured out grace on us so lavishly. It's not a little bit, it's like an abundance of grace that he's poured out on us. Ephesians 4, 11, he himself, Gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Paul tells these brand new believers, listen, you're going to have apostles, you're going to have prophets, you're going to have pastors, preachers, teachers. Why? So you can go to church every week and enjoy it? No, because you are being equipped to do some work. It's not about coming to church. It's about being equipped, built up. Um, um, raised up to go do the work of ministry. Does that mean you're going to go out and pastor, preach, and teach? No, but it means when you go home, there's work to be done for the kingdom. Paul's not waiting for the super spiritual people. He's taking this small group of people and telling them, here's the truth. <laughs> Ephesians 5.15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul says the days are evil. Redeem the time. Many of you who have gone through cancer, when you get out, you heard Carrie uh, talking about the treatment that she's getting. I guarantee you this. Those of you can testify who have been through this. When it's said and done or when you've had that victory, when you feel like you've been given a second chance at life, you begin to redeem the time. The people you were fighting with, you say, I don't want to fight anymore. The grudges you used to hold, you say, I don't want to hold those grudges anymore. I want to redeem the time. The years that we lost being angry with each other, I don't want to be angry anymore. Let's redeem that time and love each other. Paul's saying that that's how we should live with everyone. Redeem the time. It says, be filled with the Spirit. That's the only way you'll be able to do it. Last couple, Ephesians 5.22. Everybody loved this one last week. Wives, submit to your own husbands. <laughs> As to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Last week we talked about these are the roles, these are the relationships, this is what God has ordained. Whether you like it or not, it's God's word. If you follow God's word, if you surrender and you're obedient to God's word, you will be blessed. And we wonder why we have so many divorces. We wonder why we have so many broken families. Because what we say is, I know what God says, but no way. <laughs> Even in the church, we won't, we won't uh, be obedient to what God says. The divorce rate is just as high in the church as it is in the world. But nobody's willing to follow God's blueprint. Last week, I didn't know it during service, but last week, people, were, people told me afterwards, people were literally walking out of church because they're like, no, nah, I don't want to hear that. 
Maybe there'll be a church one day where like you bring your own Bible and if the pastor starts preaching, like, no, I ripped that page out. We, we don't have that anymore. <laughs> Ephesians 5 is gone. But until then, the whole counsel of the, of the Lord. Amen? Amen? And then the last one, Ephesians 5.32 says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Paul's telling these Ephesians, like, I know you're in relationships and you need to see it this way. Your parenting needs to be this way. You have to understand what it is that God desires. He says, but I'm really talking to you about your relationship with Jesus. I'm not just talking to you about a husband and a wife or a parent and a child or a worker and a boss. I'm talking to you about what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. He says, it's a mystery and I hope you understand it. So think about all that. It's six chapters. It's one small letter, but it's earth-shattering, world-changing, heaven-touching earth truth that the world had never heard before. And I, I hope that when we have our Bibles, if you have an app, if you have a Bible, that when you look at these six chapters, I, I hope that we see it the same way that those believers saw it when they were held up in candlelight. Like, oh my God, has anybody ever heard anything like this before? It's a miracle that it made it on the ship all the way here and here we are reading it. We've got to figure this out. And then I think in many ways he gives us some of the, the most amazing truth in these last few verses from verse 10. So let's pray. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the faithfulness of the men and women who have come before us. We thank you that uh, it's not just philosophy. We thank you that it's not for a select group of people, but it's for everyone. It's your truth. It's from heaven. You are the one who created us. You are the one that says that we can know the depth and the length and the height of your love for us, Lord. You're the one that says it's through the church that your wisdom will be made known to the world, Lord. You're the one that says, I know who I created you to be as a woman and as a wife and as a mother and as a friend and as a sister and as a daughter, Lord God. We stand upon your truth. You're the one that said that as men, we can be more than what we've been told. We can be more than how we've uh, behaved and lived thus far, Lord. That we were under the sway of the prince of the power of the air, but now we've been given new life and new hope and we can redeem the time and the things that have been lost can be restored, Lord God. We trust you this morning. We believe you. We need to be reminded of what you've said, not what we've experienced, not what we've said, not what we've heard from friends and families but your word this morning, Lord God. I pray that the same way that it arrived and it brought life into a city that many said was doomed for all eternity, Lord, that your word would come into this room and it would bring life, it would bring love, it would bring hope into each and every man, woman, and child here in this place, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We're honored that you love us enough to even give us your word. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. If you've got a Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, if you don't, go get one. Soon as church is over. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to read from verse 10 to the end of the chapter, and then as we usually do, we'll break some of this down. Paul starts off with, finally. Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. 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 That's how you end the letter. Oh, right? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Our strength is in the Lord and not in ourselves. Amen. That's the truth he's, he's putting out there in this verse. Today's one of those days in the church that we're reminded of how many things are bigger than we are, like cancer right? Paul says, it's bigger than you. You need to stand in the strength of the Lord. It's not your strength. It's not your ability. It's not what you're capable of. So we're reminded that things like cancer are bigger than us, but we're also reminded that nothing's bigger than our God, Amen. right? So that's what he's saying. So he says, so stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In 2 Corinthians 12, 10, Paul says, Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in my needs, in my persecutions, in my distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, when you put all the letters together, it, it does something special. Paul just tells the Ephesians, stand in the strength of the Lord. But he tells the Corinthians that it's actually in my weakness that I'm the strongest I've ever been. When I come up against cancer, I don't say, I'm going to fight you and I'm going to beat you and I don't care what happens. No, when I come up against it, I said, you know what? I have no chance if not for the Lord. Amen. In my weakness and in my humility is where I find strength. One of the things we know that is that winning the battle over cancer doesn't make us better than those who have lost the battle against cancer. Yes. Right? We have to be careful as Christians, right? Well, well, Vicky won. Why? Because she loves Jesus. So what are you saying? Everybody that's lost the battle doesn't love Jesus? Those who have won these victories does not make them better than those who have lost these victories. We need to see these things, I think, a little bit more clearly. What I know is that whatever God does and whatever God allows is always the best thing. I know that my ways are not his ways. Your thoughts are not his thoughts. He's above and beyond our thoughts. We don't understand sometimes why some person doesn't make it and somebody else does. But he understands. And he knows what he's doing. That's right. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. This is what God says. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. 
Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain come down, comes down in the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth its bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. <coughs> so God says, I'm above and you're below. I send water and rain and snow to the earth, and you don't get to send it back up to me like you have something to say. I sent it for a reason. And when it gets down there, it stays down there. And what happens is things begin to grow for the farmer, for the sower, for those who are hungry. What I send is going to accomplish a purpose for them beyond what they realized was coming down to them. He says, my ways are not your ways. What you think, why could he let somebody die from this particular disease? He says, it's going to accomplish something that you don't understand. And then I love this last part. It, it, it sounds contradictory, but listen to what he says. He says, you shall go out with joy and you shall be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Some of us might not be able to receive this, but those who have passed away in faith, even from something like, like, like cancer, what he's saying is you should go out with joy. He says, even as you are passing away, Many won't be able to see this, but even the mountains are going to stand and clap. There they go. Look at them. They're going to be with the Father. Amen. His ways are not our ways, church. His thinking is not our thinking, but his truth is always truth. It's a hard truth. We have to hang on to it, and we have to allow it to run deep within us. It can't be a surface truth, because then when we suffer, we realize that it's only on the surface, and we throw it out the window. Daniel chapter 3, verse 15, this group of people find themselves in, in one of those hard places. It says, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king. He says, if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who's the God who deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Listen to what these men of God, what these women of God are saying. They're saying, first off, we are weak. We cannot defeat your fire, and we cannot defeat uh, your furnace. You're the king. We can't defeat you. They're not saying, we're going to overcome this, and we're going to beat it. No, look, you're the king. You're stronger than I am. You have a fire that if you light it, there's nothing I could do to put it out. But then they say, but our God is able. Our God is able. He can do whatever he wants to do. He'll deliver us. And then they get even more bold and more confident. They say, not only can he deliver us, but he's going to deliver us. And then they say, but if he doesn't, I don't care. His ways are not my ways. If he decides that I need to burn in a fiery furnace before I go to heaven, his ways are not my ways. And I'm not going to bow down to you regardless because that truth runs deep in me. These are not just make-believe stories. These are uh, examples of how do we get there? 
How do we get there? I'm weak and I can't defeat you or your fire. My God is able and my God is going to save me. But even if he doesn't, if I have to suffer, I'm not going to bow down to you. I only worship him. How do we get there? Verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 6, God tells us to put on the whole armor of God. We're going to learn how to get there this morning. I'm excited about it. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We don't battle or wrestle against flesh and blood. Listen to what that means this morning. The armor is not a physical armor for a physical battle. It's spiritual armor for a spiritual battle. Put on the whole armor of God means that it's actually something external rather than something internal. Think about that for a second. We know that God comes and he dwells inside of us. I read the scripture earlier where it said that we got the Holy Spirit for a guarantee. But God doesn't say, hey, there's something inside of you and I want it to come out of you and they're going to defeat your enemies. What he says is, no, this is not something internal. This is something external, something I want you to grab and put on. It's important that we understand that. Number one, it's for a spiritual battle. Number two, it's something that's external. Romans chapter 13, verse 12 says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Romans 13, 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 53 says, This corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. What is God saying about this armor? He's saying that this is something we need to understand that we have to put on. It's not about how you feel inside. It's something you've been commanded to put on. Put on love and tender mercies. I'm not loving and I'm not tender. It doesn't matter. Put it on. I don't feel like battling. It doesn't matter how you feel. Put it on. How do you get to where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are? How do you get to where we've seen some people suffering so bad, but their faith seems to be increasing? It's not always something they feel on the inside. It's something that they have put on. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Listen, listen to what the scripture, as we break it down, listen to what it's saying. We all, we've all heard the armor of God and some of us have like a sword at home. Some of us have it on our phone or whatever it is, like the armor of God, the armor of God. And you, you hear what the scripture actually says? Like the whole point is just to be able to stand. 
Do you hear it in verse 13? If you've got a Bible, highlight it. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you'll be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Everything you're doing is just about being able to stand. It's not to be seen. It's not to teach others. It's not to be accepted. It's not to be a winner in this life. It's all just so that you can stand. What does it mean to stand, church? Standing is about stability, right? If you look at a person, God made us with a skeleton, all these bones. Then he put all this muscle on all the bones, all these joints and ligaments. And then he gave us a brain. And it all has to work together just to stand. If a bone is broken in your foot, in your leg, you will not be able to stand. If your muscles are weak, you will not be able to stand. If your mind is not sending the right messages to all of those pieces, you will not be able to stand. So what he's saying is there's a lot that goes into being able to stand. And all this talk about armor is just so men and women can stand. He's saying everything has to come together for you to be a man or woman who can stand. David stands before Goliath, right? It's all coming together and it's all working together. David comes out and he says, who do you think you are? How can you defy the armies of God? He caused me to kill a bear and a lion and to protect sheep. I'm going to take your head off just like I took their heads off. And today they'll know that there's a God in Israel. He's standing. Everything's coming together. His past life experiences, what he knows about God, who this enemy is. I don't care if you're nine feet tall and I'm 15 years old. I'm standing on the truth of God, and it's all coming together for me for this moment. That's right. Esther, one night with the king, she's enslaved. And what does she do? She stands before the king and she says, you've got to save my people. She knows who she is, where she's come from. She's been prepared. But she says, for such a time as this, God has put me in this particular place. I'm going to stand on what I know to be true. And I'm going to, I'm going to make this request, save my people. It could end in my murder and the murder of all my people. But it's all coming together for her to stand in that moment. Moses stands before Pharaoh, right? He's a slave. He's a murderer. He's out of town. He comes back into town, and he has to come before the king, the pharaoh, and say, let my people go. Why? Because it's all coming together. How he was uh, sent down a river, how he was saved, how he was raised in Egypt, how he went 40 years into the, uh, into the desert and was a shepherd, and then he comes back, and then it all comes together for him to be able to stand in this moment and say, let my people go, because I know who I am, and I know who God is. So what's the whole point in all this armor? God says it's just so that you can stand in the evil day. So it has to all come together. Standing is about understanding who God is and who you are based on what God has said, based on what God has done. It's not a cliche thing to say, put on the armor of God and go fight the battle. Let's keep going. From verse 13 again, he says, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Girding your waist, your waist is about your core. Your waist is about your center and your waist is your source of stability. Imagine trying to stand without hips or without stomach muscles, right? Remember, it's all about standing. So God says, now that you've done all this to stand, stand. And start by girding your waist with truth. 
No hips, no stomach muscles, you cannot stand. No matter how hard you try, you will not be able to do it. And he says, what is your, your spiritual hips, your spiritual stomach muscles going to be? What are you going to gird and strengthen yourself with? Truth. John 8, 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 14, 6. Jesus said, to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 17, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, you received the word of God, which you heard from us. You welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. The word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. And finally, John 18, 37, Jesus says this. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. You see how the armor begins? Not with all this outside stuff. Underneath all of the, the, the metal armor is a girding. It's like a towel. You know when, when the, the scriptures say that Jesus girded the towel around his waist and he began to wash his disciples' feet? That's what he's saying is, from the outside, people are going to see all this armor and all this equipment that you have. But what I'm telling you how to stand and how to get ready, he says, when you just get out of the shower, gird yourself with truth. In your waist, around your core, the truth. Everyone who hears the truth hears my voice, he says. I love it. <laughs> Let's read verse 14 again. He says, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate is about that which protects all of your vital organs. If you get into a battle and your heart or your lungs or your kidneys or your liver is punctured in that battle, you are going to die. Your vital organs, right, that are pumping blood and doing all this different stuff within you, he says, you need a breastplate to protect all those things. Before you go to battle, God gave you a rib cage. Every day in the physical world, you have a rib cage to protect your vital organs. That's what it's there for. And then he says, if you're going to be a soldier and you're going to go to battle, I'm going to also put on an additional layer of protection, and it's a, blessed, a breastplate. And then he says, if you're going to be a Christian and you're going to put on spiritual armor, that which is going to protect your vital organs, your actual life, is going to be righteousness. Righteousness is what allows us to live. And Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. It's our salvation comes from Christ. And when you get saved, he takes his robe off and he puts it over you. He says, you are now covered in righteousness. You have a breastplate. You have a covering. You have a layer of protection that gives you life, allows you to live. And it's my righteousness. So God starts off with the army. He says, gird yourself with truth and then put a breastplate of righteousness on. Be covered by the blood of Christ. This is how you're going to do spiritual battle. You go out without the blood, you won't live. You cannot live. Your vital organs are exposed and you'll die spiritually. Keep going. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Shodding your feet is about putting your walking shoes on. Right? 
If you're gonna walk, you gotta put shoes on. I was telling some of the men, we went on a hike yesterday, and I don't know how the, the conversation came up, but I was like, man, there's a lot of people that, that wear like sandals everywhere they go, and I'm like, please put some lotion on those things. <laughs> like, you only get one pair of feet. <laughs> Take care of them bad boys. <laughs> and I believe that's biblical, because Jesus said, shod your feet. <laughs> Don't be walking around out here in the dirt and desert with no shoes on. God says, your waist with truth, gird your waist with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And he says, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel, right? So we put these shoes on so that we can actually walk and we walk in the gospel. Listen to what he said. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. He says, if you're going to stand, you can stand on the truth. Right? You can stand on who I am and what I've said and the moment that I've placed you in. He says, but if you're going to walk, you cannot even take one step without walking in the gospel. When you get ready to move, don't move on your own or on your own understanding or on your own strength. Move in the truth of my gospel. We have to walk in the truth that all the victory that we're capable of having is because Christ won it for us on the cross and through his resurrection. We're not good husbands and we're not good wives. We walk as husbands and, and wives in the redemption provided for us on the cross. Amen. Right? God's saying, don't, don't do this whole Christian thing and say, you know what, I'm going to be a great husband because I just know I'm capable of it. I'm going to be a great and submissive wife because I know I'm capable of it. No, you step back, you're standing there and you say, I'm about to walk into husbanding I'm about to walk into wifehood, and I'm going to do that based on the gospel. Because he died on the cross, because he rose, he has given me a supernatural ability to do something that I otherwise could not, so I'm going to love her like Christ loved the church. I'm going to allow him to lead as if Christ is leading my salvation. You shod your feet with the truth of the gospel, and that's how you walk is what he's telling us. We're not good friends. But because of the cross, our ability to be in relationship has been redeemed. Amen. We can love people more than we love ourselves. But if it's not for the cross, if it's not for the gospel, we cannot do that. Jesus died in joy. Those who have gone before us and died of many things in faith, they can die in joy. Not because they're special, but because of the truth of the gospel. Jesus rose from the dead, which means we are going to rise from the dead. We walk in that on a daily basis, or we're supposed to. That's what he's telling us in Ephesians chapter 6. The gospel has to inform everything that we do when it comes to walking or moving in this world. Right? That's the question we should be asking ourselves. In anything we do in any relationship we're in, how is the gospel informing this? How is the truth of the death and resurrection of Jesus changing this area of my life? That's what he means when he says, shod your feet. Let's read it again. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. He says, above all, take the shield of faith. Hebrews 11:6. without faith, it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You have to have faith. This whole thing does not work without faith. He says, above all, you better have the shield of faith. 
The enemy is coming at you with fiery darts. It's not playtime. When you leave here, arrows are going to be shooting at you. Many of us have been living in that space for a while now where the enemy is just taking pod shots at us everywhere we go. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. This means that the devil is standing before God day and night and saying, Let me tell you about Vaughn. Let me tell you what he's doing. I know you see everything, but you must not be watching because look at how he's living. That that's what he's doing all day, every day for each and every one of us, accusing us and accusing us and accusing us before God. And if you are covered in the righteousness of Christ, God says, I don't see that because I see the salvation of my son. But here's the challenge. Down here where we live, he's accusing us. You're a liar. You're a cheater. You're selfish. You're unfaithful. You won't give. You're convicted. We are hearing these things all day, every day. They're better off without you. Kill yourself. He is an accuser. I'm experiencing more in this season of my life the reality of the accusations of the enemy. And I feel so terrible because I'm looking at how many people must be living this way every day of their life and what a heavy burden that is. To hear the enemy chirping in your ear. And what does God say? Go get a counselor. You know what you need? You need a boyfriend. <laughs> you know what it is? It's, it's, your, it's your job. No. What he says is, get the shield of faith and it will quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. He's not going to stop shooting these things at you, but if you don't have faith, it's going to keep hitting you. And then you're going to kill yourself. Or you're going to leave your family. Or you're going to uh, start to lash out at the people who are actually there to help you. God says, put on the armor. Whether you feel like it or not, because this is what is happening in the spiritual realm. He says there's one answer. The shield of faith. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In the spiritual realm, get that shield of faith. You will not be condemned. You'll kill all those fiery darts of the enemy. He'll hit you with them. You'll say, yeah, I know, but I'm saved. <laughs> you almost got me with that one, but I've been forgiven. <laughs> you know what? You almost got me, and you almost made me forget how far I've come. I'm not there yet, but I'm definitely not where I was. <laughs> it's your faith that shields and defeats the enemy, not your strength or your good behavior. Let's keep going. From verse 14, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, which, which will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation is my favorite piece of armor. 
you have to know that you know that you know that you're saved. He's talking about protecting your mind. Like, what do you really believe? What do you really know? If you don't believe you're saved, if you don't know you're saved, if you're not convinced mentally that you're saved, it's going to be a struggle for you. When the, when the enemy gets into your thoughts. Yep. Salvation is about choosing to believe what God has said and not feeling good or feeling a touch of God or feeling the power of God all the time. Salvation is not about those things. Salvation is like, I know that it's true. I know that he saved me. I know that when he was on the cross and he says, it is finished, it was finished. I know that when he says, my sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west, and that they are out of the mind and remembrance of God, that that is a true statement and I'm going to heaven. I know that. And I put on a helmet to protect what I know. Because if I don't have the, the helmet, the enemy is going to get into my mind. He's going to use people to say, what, do you, what, what makes you think you're saved? You know yourself. And we all know you. You're going to hell. <laughs> That's why you started running to the church, because you knew you were going to hell. Nothing's changed. You just look different and smell a little bit different. And you use words like amen and hallelujah, but you're still going to hell. No, put that helmet on. Defend yourself against that. Know that you know that you know what the truth is. Yesterday, again, on the men's hike, when we're sitting down, somebody asked, well, how do you know? Well, good Lord. How long have you been going to church? You need to know. You shouldn't be asking me how you know. You should be telling me why you know. Because pastor told me, wrong. <laughs> because my family said, if I just go, everything's going to get better. Wrong. <laughs> it's because God had a plan. It's because man fell. It's because he sent his only begotten son. It's because he was sinless. He could take on the sins of the world. It's because he confirmed it by the fact that he rose from the dead. And he called me. And he said, do you want life? Will you give me your sin so that I can give you life? I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. And I put that helmet on every day. Salvation. About understanding, believing in your mind. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. <laughs> There's so many Christians who are all heart and soul, Right? No matter what they're going through, if they're happy, they come running in. Hallelujah, I can't wait to sing. If they're sad, oh God, you got to help me. <laughs> but where are the Christians who are like, I've made up my mind. I don't care how I feel today, I'm going to worship. I don't care if I'm happy or sad, I'm going to give him the best that I've got. I don't care if I have a lot or if I have a little, I'm going to invest into the kingdom. Why? Because I know the truth. I love him with all my mind, not just with all my heart and all my soul and all my emotions. Lord, help me. I told you I didn't choose the scriptures. It's just what it. These people are in Ephesus and they're going into these temples where they're having orgies. And it's all about how you feel and who you can touch and what you can receive and what you can drink and what you can smoke. It's all about emotions. And then Paul sends these people a letter and he says, no, it's actually about your mind and what you believe and knowing the truth, not how you feel, not who's around you. I was talking to somebody this week who's been struggling with some things in their walk with God, and they're trying to figure out, what do I need to do to get better, to feel better? I said, you need to focus on who you are in Jesus 
as if everybody on the planet were to disappear tomorrow. Which means it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter how you feel. All that matters is the truth about who you are in Christ. And that's in your mind. That's according to the truth of what he said. Oh, I love the helmet. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. It's the only weapon you actually have is the word of God. Every other piece of armor is for defense and protection, which means if you don't have the word of God, if you don't read it, if you don't have one of these, if you don't get into your app and read it on a daily basis, all you can do is defend yourself when the enemy is attacking. (laughs) You haven't played offense for one day in your Christianity. All you've done is defend yourself. You've got all this armor on and just, okay, I'm going to survive when the enemy is attacking. Take up the word and play offense. Start to defend yourself. You cannot defend your marriage if you don't know the word of God because you don't have a weapon. You cannot protect your kids when they go to school if you don't know the word of God because you have no weapon. All you can do is say, I'm sending you out there to the wolves and I hope you've got some armor of your own on so you can take all the shots of the enemy. Where are the offensive warriors in the kingdom of God? They're the ones who are taking time every morning or every night, as the word says, to read and meditate upon the word of God. When Jesus was attacked by the enemy, when he went on the offensive, he didn't just start trying to play offense. What he said was, the word says, do not tempt the Lord your God. He was playing offense with the word of God. That was his weapon. And we wonder why we're barely surviving. Good Lord, thank you that we do have some some armor on. But man, God said, go take the promised land, which means you have to go play offense. Many of us are not walking in in our promises of God because we don't play any offense. We're just trying to figure out how to survive. It's the only weapon. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, Adam and Eve sin. They, they've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so now they understand sin. They become sinners, and then they want to eat of the tree of life, which means they're going to live forever, but they're going to live forever as sinners, which means they will not be able to be in the presence of God. So God, it's not a bad judgment. He says, I'm kicking you out of the garden because if you eat of this tree, we'll always be separated. You'll live forever as a sinner. He says, get out, and listen to what he does when he kicks them out. Genesis 3:24. So he drove out the man, and he placed a cherubim, an angel, at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. It's my favorite scripture. <laughs> I say that all the time, but today it's true. It's true every time I tell you. So picture this. He's like, get out, get out. Right? You can't eat of the tree of life. You got to go out. You're actually going to die now. Get out of here. And then what does he do? He doesn't put a sword there to kill them if they try to get back in. He's actually put the sword there to tell them, listen, your way back in is through the word of God. 
I'm going to tell you some things. I'm going to make some promises. I'm going to send a son. I'm going to, I'm going to forgive you of your sins, but it's going to be found. That truth is going to be found in the word. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. The sword is guarding the way back into eternity, back into Eden, back into the presence of God. He says, listen, by my word, you'll know how to repent. You'll know how to be forgiven. And then I'll put my word right at the entrance back into the garden. When you hear the word, when you understand what he's done, when you accept the word, you can actually come back in to the presence of God as a forgiven saint, not as a sinner for judgment. He's saying, take up the armor. Please understand your love for people, your real desire for your family to be healed and for them to stop doing what they've been doing and for me to stop doing what I was doing. None of that matters. What's actually going to save them is the truth of the word of God. That's the sword. That's what's on fire. That's what's flaming. That's what gets them back into the presence of God. Let's keep going. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Praying with all prayer. Prayer services are always the least attended. <laughs> like, I already went to church. I ain't going back on another day to pray. I can pray at home, even though I don't. <laughs> then we say, let's make prayer on the same day before service starts. That's going to remove the excuses, right? Like, 845 to 945, before you come to church, it's already there. We'll, we'll, we'll worship with you. We'll lead you. Come and pray. People don't want to pray. I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm just, I know how the enemy works, right? If I can get them not to pray, they won't connect with God, and then none of this stuff will matter or make sense to them. Think of prayer as like, you, you might not look at armor this way, but inside the armor, there's all these things that connect them, right? So the breastplate is connected to this arm protection by like a string or a rope that's here. Right? And then when you lock in the helmet, there's like buckles that you can lock in the helmet so it stays on. Like everything's connected. Prayer is what makes it all work together. And it's the one thing we don't want to do. Paul says to these Ephesians, pray with all prayer. What he's saying is, you need to pray by yourself in silence. You need to be praying by yourself out loud. You need to pray in small groups and big groups. You need to pray by laying your hands on people. You need to pray by keeping your hands off of people. You need to pray in the morning. You need to pray at night. You need to pray in the church. You need to pray at home. You need to pray over your kids. You need to pray over meal. He says, any way that you can think of prayer, all prayer, use it. You need to pray with understanding and you need to pray in the spirit. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and Paul says that. He says, listen, I pray with understanding, which means Lord, will you please bless my children? And then he says, I also pray in the spirit. Lord, I don't know what's needed, but he says, I have to pray in both because when I'm saying pray over my kids for their safety at school today, what the spirit is saying, their friends are getting them high right now and you need to come against that. I don't know that, but the spirit does know that. So if I'm not praying with all prayer, I'm not really praying for what the need is. But we say, oh, God, somebody told me one day that that's a gift from the past. <laughs> Read the scriptures for yourself and see what they say. Pray with all prayer, he says. 
What is praying in the spirit about? Praying beyond the physical and understandable and comprehensible, but still praying in reality. It's just a heavenly reality. Remember earlier we said the armor is not physical armor, it's spiritual armor. Praying in the spirit is about there is another reality that's actually happening right now that you can't see, you can't feel, you can't touch, and you can't smell, but it's just as real. It's the reality that had me with the knife to my wrist about to kill myself before this young lady said, you need to come to church with me. The physical reality was saying, you're fine. The spiritual reality was saying, I've almost got him. Kill yourself. I've almost got him. Keep getting high. Kill yourself. Kill yourself. When we pray for things to be on earth as they are in heaven, what we're praying is we're saying, Lord, there is a dividing line between what's going on in heaven and what's going on here in earth. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What we're saying is, Lord, would you bring what's in heaven down here to earth? Please, that line where it's divided, please just remove that line just for a short minute and bring heaven to earth. You know what we call that in the church? It's called a miracle. When, when something that's not supposed to happen here happens, it's a miracle because God has done something in heaven that has had a supernatural impact on what's going on here on earth. Listen to this, 2 Kings. There's an army, and they're trying to find and kill Elisha because he keeps preaching and teaching the word of God and proclaiming the truth of God and telling him what's going to happen before it happens. So they send this army to kill him. Listen to this, 2 Kings 6.14. This other king, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came at night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God, so this is Elisha's servant, the servant of the man of God arose early and he went out. There was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what are we going to do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed. And he said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The earthly realm, the regular realm. A king sends enemies against you and against, um, against Elisha. They circle around the city. His servant wakes up and says, Elisha, look outside. Look at what's going on. We are about to get destroyed and killed. It's, there's no hope for us. And then Elisha says, man, I wish you could see what's going on in the heavenly realm. I wish you could see this other reality. Lord, would you please open his eyes so that he could see? His eyes are open. There's chariots of fire everywhere. Heaven is touching earth. Physical versus spiritual. And we have no idea. And we've heard about this armor of God, and we encourage each other, and we tell everybody to put it on, but we have no idea what it's talking about. Elisha is saying, I want you to make this connection between what's going on in heaven and what's going on in earth. How are you and I putting on the whole armor of God if we're not praying like this? If we don't see the world like this? Prayer, like I said before, is what ties all this armor together. Gird your waist with truth. 
breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel, take the shield of faith, take the helmet of salvation, take the sword of the spirit, and pray always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. For me, the most effective service of all that we do, for me personally, is once a month Friday night praying in the spirit. I feel like it has more bang for the buck than anything else we do. Because it's almost like it's where we get to say, God, whatever we thought we were doing, (laughs) whatever we were planning to do, even whatever we've seen you do that we are encouraged by it, we just want to put everything back on you to do what you want to do. Whatever I wasn't praying for that I should have been praying for, I just want to spend some time doing that. Whatever I was trying to figure out a good plan down here on earth that you wanted to send chariots of fire into, I want to ask you for those chariots of fire and not my best laid plan. Let's finish up. So Paul says, praying always always in verse 18 with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me. That utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that you also may know my affairs and, and how I'm doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. So, As we go on our furlough, Mary and I and our kids, as we take this mini sabbatical, I think it's a great opportunity to teach and request and practice some of what Paul's talking about here. He's telling the Ephesians, pray for everybody, but he says, pray for me. You hear him? Paul says, I'm sitting in a prison. Look at Paul's faith. He doesn't say pray that it gets better in this prison. He says, pray for me that I have boldness because I fully expect to be out of this prison and preaching the gospel. Pray for me that I have boldness to say it the way that it's supposed to be said, to preach the truth, to get this understanding about the armor out to those who are walking around naked. Mary and I are committed like Paul. Paul says, I'm an ambassador and I'm in chains. Like I couldn't do anything else if I wanted to. That's how I feel about myself. That's how I feel about my wife. I don't want to put her business out there, but she's like, I don't want to take any time off. <laughs> I'm fine. You're the one that's got problems. <laughs> but it's like, you know, she can't help it. We want to be here. We want to serve. We want to worship. We want to hug. We want to love. We want to preach. We want to teach. And Paul's in prison, and he's saying, this is where it got me. But don't pray for a different life for me. Pray that I'm more bold and more excited and more passionate. While you're putting this armor on and while you're praying for yourself and while you're trying to get heaven to touch earth, do me a favor. Would you mind praying for me too? Because I'm in prison because of what I'm telling you. (laughs) And then Paul, he says, look, I know you guys love me. I'm in jail, but I'm going to send the homie over to you. His name is is Tychicus. (laughs) Right? I'm going to send him over to you so he can tell you how I'm doing. I don't want you to be worried. Yes, I'm in prison. Yes, I'm in chains. Yes, I've been beaten all the way till I'm almost dead several times. But I'm not telling you to quit. 
and I'm not telling that I'm going to abandon you. I'm going to send him over, and he's going to tell you face to face, Paul's okay. He's going to be fine. He's going to make it. What are you guys doing here in Ephesus? I love that Paul's super spiritual, but he's also like a regular guy, very personal, right? He's like, these people are probably tripping. I need to send somebody over there and tell them it's going to be all right. It's great. What I really love about it is it's so significant, the connection that he has with these people, that he loves them enough to write them while he's in prison. He loves them enough to send somebody to them. They love him enough to the point where he's like, I know they care about me. I've got to make sure that they understand that everything's going to be okay, to the point where that ends up in our Bible. (laughs) It's about relationship, guys. It's about love for the Lord and love for one another and endeavoring to keep that bond of unity. It's very significant. So the last two verses, 23 and 24, Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. 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 Peace, love, and faith to all who love Jesus. That's how he signs off. Earth-shattering, world-changing truth has been proclaimed to them, written to them. They've shared it with one another in six chapters. We have six chapters. They didn't have chapters. It's just one letter. He reads it all, and he says, at the end, you know how much we love each other, but I want you to have the peace and the love and the faith of God. And I'm, I'm sending that out to everyone who's reading this that loves Jesus. If you're in the room but you don't love Jesus, you won't be able to receive the peace and the love and the faith that I'm talking about. That's what he's telling them. You can be in the room. You can be hearing the word, but you got to love Jesus. You got to love Jesus. When you love Jesus, you're not thinking, two hours on a Sunday? (laughs) You see what I'm saying? When you love Jesus, you're not thinking, so if I have 20 he gets two. If I have a hundred, he gets t- carry the seven, divide by two. If you love Jesus, you're not thinking, um, so he'll forgive me of all my sins and I can go to heaven, but, but I can't like, like get faded. So listen to what Paul's saying. He's saying grace to you, peace to you, faith to you. If you love Jesus, insincerity. When you're madly in love with somebody and then love begins to fade, right? When you're courting somebody, where do you want to go, babe? What time? Hey, I don't care that you're not ready. It's okay. I'll wait for you, girl. <laughs> oh, oh you, want, you want the steak and, and the lobster? Oh, come on, girl. Go ahead. It's all good. Got nothing but love for you. Oh, oh, you're, you're a little bit short. You need me to pay the cell phone bill too? Ten years later, it's like, hey, girl, if your phone goes off, your phone goes off. I told you. <laughs> I told you before we came, we went to Chili so we could do the two meals for one price, $22.99. Right? Like, like, all that love is out the window. That's what happens to us. That's why he's given us his word. He says, meditate on it day and night. Because when you got saved and you were about to kill yourself, your life was valuable. But now that it's been 10 years and it's not about feelings anymore, it's about what you know and what you have come to understand to be true, now you want to act funny. No, stay in love. You know what the Bible says? It says stir up love. It says it ain't going to happen by itself. You got to stir it up. 
God knows us so well. I, listen, I'm going to be gone for four weeks. I'm trying to get four weeks worth of preaching in today. <laughs> no, but listen, everybody, especially at times like this, this is what happens. People are like, what can we do for you, Pastor? How, how can we help you? Like, is there anything we do? Yes, read this. Like, for the four weeks, please, pick a spot in here. Like, anything we... Anything we ever say, but anything we said to stay, like today, read that story about when Elisha said, open his eyes and there's chariots of fire. Read where Paul's in prison. Read where Paul's getting beaten. They think he's dead. They drag him off like he's dead, and then he gets back. Read where Paul is, gets off of a shipwreck, sits down, and a, and a, a snake bites him in the hand, and he just shakes it off. They're like, oh, you're evil. You're going to die. He's like, nah, it's no big deal. I know who my God is. <laughs> like, just read anything and then talk to each other about it. I'll be so happy as your pastor to hear that people are reading. Because this is where you're going to find out the truth about who he is and who you are, how to put your armor on, how to live for him, and how to love him for the rest of your life. I'm going to close with this. I remember preaching a, a message called, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. That's, that's the saddest place to be as a Christian. Many of us have been there in relationships, right? It's not you, it's me. I love you, but I'm not in love with you. That's not what it's supposed to be like with Jesus. And you will end up there if we don't put on the full armor, if we don't understand what he said. We want to be in love with him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. So maybe more this morning than, than most services, um, it was just made clear for me, and hopefully it's made clear for you that salvation, what is it, you know? Is it going to church? Is it changing your ways? Is it, is it laying some things down and, and the vices that hold us, and we say, I'm going to quit that, I'm going to stop this? You know, is that salvation? Is it, is it saying that I'm a Christian and wearing a cross? Is it having a church that you belong to and putting a sticker on your car? It's really none of those things. It's about a decision you make in your mind where you say, I've heard what he said, and I believe him. I want it to be true that I'm saved by grace and not by works. You're telling me that all I have to do is say, Jesus, I believe that you are God, that you were sent here to forgive me of my sins, that you died on the cross, and that you rose on the third day, and all I have to do is put my trust in you, and I'll be forgiven. Your spirit will come live in me and it will confirm my salvation. And day by day as I walk in that truth and read about that truth, hear about that truth, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that it will be confirmed. It's just a decision that I have to make. That's what the scriptures say. It may be a difficult truth, but the truth is the truth. In John chapter 6, Jesus began to tell everybody who was following him, okay, listen, it's been fun, but you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. You have to get me all the way inside of you or you will not go to heaven. And people started flipping out. I can't take that. There's no way. I don't believe that and I'm out. He looked at his disciples. He says, you guys want to go too? And they said, where can we go? We believe now that you are the Messiah and we believe that you have the words of life. There's nowhere else we can go. What they were saying is we do not understand it, but we believe it's true. I love that. That's what salvation is. It's like, look, if I understood it, I'd be saved already. <laughs> I don't really understand all of this, but I believe it to be true. How many of you, 
We're going to ask this a little bit differently than we usually do. How many of you have already come to believe that that's true? That he came from heaven, he died for your sins, he rose from the dead, and you get to go to heaven because you've asked him to forgive you of your sins and put your trust in Jesus. Raise him up high if you believe that. Raise him up like you're really in love with him. Right? Amen. So good. You guys can put your hands down. Is there anybody here who wants to do that today, but you never have? You've seen that all of us, that's how we all came to faith, is that's exactly what we did. Is there anybody here that has not done that, but you want to today? You don't want to leave the same way you came. You want to say, look, I'll figure it out as I go, but I just want to be saved. Would you raise your hand so that us other saved folks can see you and welcome you into the family? Is there anybody? Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So good. So what I want to do for all you saved folks is I want to open the altars for prayer. A lot was said, so whatever it was that may have ministered to you that you feel like um, you just need to respond to. One thing we believe in our church is that it's great to hear, but the Bible says, don't be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. So if God has done something, what we believe is just respond. Come to the altar and say, Lord, I'm coming forward to say, I heard you, and I expect something to happen differently because of that. Maybe as you come, you might say this. You're actually asking God for heaven to touch earth as you come to the altar, right? You're asking God for, for, for an understanding or a moment or, or something to happen where, where your eyes are open like uh, uh, Elisha's servant where he could see, oh man, I didn't know that there were chariots of fire. Maybe it's in the area of praying in the spirit. Maybe it's in the area of putting on the, the armor. Maybe it's in the area of understanding what you actually believe and loving the Lord with your mind. I don't know what it is, but, but I want that to be the picture is that you're responding to be a doer of the faith, not just a hearer. And that you're responding saying, Lord, I want a miracle. I want heaven to touch earth in my life. And I'm not going to sit here and wait for that. I'm going to come to you and ask for that. So I'm going to open the altars. Lord, we thank you for the victories over cancer. We thank you for the battles that are ongoing. We thank you for offering us this, this armor, Lord. We thank you for saying that it's not about how we feel, but it's a commandment to put these things on. We thank you that you say that we have all types of prayer, Lord, that we can find a niche. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us a weapon, Lord, that we can actually go on the offensive. If we've just been taking shots and taking hits and we've been armored up, but Lord, we just feel like we're always on the defensive. Would you meet us here and give us that understanding of your word? Give us a passion to read it. Give us an understanding of how to wield that weapon wisely, Lord God, that we can take the land that you've promised us. Every man, woman, and child in this place has been promised a promised land, even in this life, not just the next, Lord God. Show us how to battle for those things, Lord. Meet us here in this place, Lord. We're asking you to bring heaven down to earth, to do a miracle, Lord, to give revelation, to be the God who speaks into our situations and circumstances, Lord. We want to put these things on as we've come, Lord. I see your sons. I see your daughters here, Lord. I see them putting on righteousness. I see them putting on loving kindness, Lord God. I see them putting on forgiveness, Lord God. I see you dealing with their shame, Lord God. I see you dealing with their uncertainty, Lord, and their insecurities, God. Oh, you're the God, Lord, who responds. You're the God who speaks, Lord. 
You're the God who helps and forgives. It's your strength and not ours, Lord. Have your way over them, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus. listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.